Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for well-qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. How do you remember the events of September 11th? What do you remember about that day? For me, it was fear, sheer terror. When the events unfolded here in New York City, the city I worked in and commuted to every single day. And for me, it was also the moment the Pentagon was hit and realizing this is war. That's my friend Bridget Quinn, news anchor for New York's Iconic, 10-10 wins. And he is Wayne Cabot, news anchor for the storied WCBS News Radio 880. Together, these two radio stations were a lifeline to a nation watching the 9-11 attacks from afar. The events happened in our backyard. And in the case of WCBS 880, right outside the studio window, some 70 blocks to the south of us. Tom Kaminsky, Chopper 880. All right, uh, Pat, we are just currently getting a look at the World Trade Center. We have something that has happened here at the World Trade Center. We noticed flame and an awful lot of smoke from one of the towers of the World Trade Center. In the next hour plus, we want to tell you our story, how these events played out on these two radio stations that day. As I look out, something is, I can't, it looks as though the building is going, is that the building going down? Is that the second building of the World Trade Center going down? Yes, that is the second, that is the second tower. That is the second tower. It's a huge plume of smoke that came out of the middle of the building, and then the building just disappeared in the smoke. Two thousand. 996 people lost their lives in the World Trade Center attacks in New York that day. We saw it happen right in front of us. If not for the courageous, selfless acts of countless others, tens of thousands more would have died. We watched it all happen right in front of us, and we opened our microphones and told the world... We didn't know where it was going to end, if there were these uh, two planes or the four planes eventually, or if there were hundreds of planes. We didn't know. Every five minutes, you know, there was a new horrifying development or less. And, and we were just flying by the seat of our pants. This is Echoes from 9-11, the story of the World Trade Center attacks told through the voices of those who covered it. 
Wednesday news time, 8.02. In a newsroom where the news watch never stops, there are moments for small talk and normal office behavior. September 11th started that way for most who were starting their daily responsibilities, including the morning anchor team of Lee Harris, Judy DeAngelis, and James Faraday. The morning of September 11th, a very ordinary day. It was a primary election day, and there was not a lot of... Uh, suspense about the outcome of that primary election. Uh, Mark Green, the Democratic candidate for mayor, was expected to uh, win that primary election. And uh, being the Democrat, he was also expected to win the uh, mayor's race. Uh, Michael Bloomberg was running as the Republican. He didn't have much of a chance. So it wasn't the most interesting story in the world, and that was the lead on the morning of September 11th, which was uh, a very nice day weather-wise, sunny, uh, not a cloud in the sky, as I recall. The newsroom staff is mulling around as they get ready for today's top stories. That would all come to a screeching halt with one phone call. Breaking news now on 1010 Winds. This just into our newsroom. A plane has crashed into the World Trade Center. Let's get this live update from 1010 Winds correspondent Joan Fleischer. Joan, what do you see? Well, I'm standing on the top of my roof, and I'm looking at the World Trade Center, and there's a huge hole in it, and there's a fire in the building right now. Huge smoke pouring out of it, and things are falling from the building itself. It's about three quarters from the top, oh, well, maybe a quarter from the top of the building where it's completely, there's a huge hole in the building. Joan Fleischer, a sales executive for 1010 Winds, called Mark Mason with news. Joan, from the top of her building in Brooklyn, would unknowingly serve as Wynn's first eyewitness reporter to the story of a lifetime. Every so often you would get pieces of information that would be brought into you, but it was up to you to dissect what you needed to get out to the listening public. So it was, I'm not really sure. You were really revving up and I don't want to say, I don't want to say that you were, or I was running on adrenaline, but the adrenaline level certainly was, was up. Didn't know what was going on yet. Being in news, being the kind of person I am, I wanted to know, but then again, maybe I really didn't want to know because we didn't know where this was going. It was terribly frightening. We were trying to keep up with whatever information we were getting as quickly as we possibly could and get it out to the listeners. Now, other reports started to flood the newsroom. A plane hit the World Trade Center. At first, the newsroom was reacting to an accident. An accident at the World Trade Center was still a major story. And it is not a good morning in New York City. A major disaster, a plane crash into the World Trade Center. Well, initially, it's the one jet plane. Um, We don't know what size, and I don't think at that point anybody was really putting terrorism to the top of the list of reasons why this would have occurred. Um, You know, plane could have lost uh, control of its... uh, abilities, a pilot could have passed out. There were a number of explanations that you could 
uh, put your way. We didn't have 9-11 as a, as a framework to work with. There was no prior experience with a uh, suicide plane in the United States, as far as I can recall. But you did have situations like the Payne Stewart plane, where um, the planes, you know, passengers and pilot passed out and the plane just flew until it ran out of fuel. So we had that more as a, as a frame of reference than what 9-11 turned out to be. Of course, all of uh, that perspective changed at uh, 9.05 when we had the second hit. And it wasn't just the wind staff inside the newsroom that saw and felt the impact. Anchor Larry Cantor saw the impact before his workday even started, seeing the smoke from the crash sour the beautiful blue sky. Well, I'll tell you what, I, what was going on that day. I had a doctor's appointment, and it was uptown at Columbia Presbyterian at 168th Street. I was living in New Jersey at the time, and I'd come in, I think I came in for my shift at about uh, 10.30 or a quarter to 11 or something like that. And so what I did was I came in town early that day, parked my car at the station, and then took a subway up to uh, 168th Street. Well, when I got to 168th Street, I went into the uh, building there. My doctor's office was on the 11th floor and I get up to the doctor's office and people are running around and, and talking and, uh, and it's something's different. And they tell me a plane has crashed into the world trade center. And they said, look out the window. Some people were looking out the window there and they had a perfect line of sight from the 11th floor window looking South and you could see the world trade center plain as day. And there's smoke pouring out of it. And people are still saying, well, they, they, they're saying that it's a small plane that crashed into the Trade Center, but that didn't seem right. Perfect day like that, no small plane is going to accidentally hit the World Trade Center. And so thoughts immediately, especially knowing that the World Trade Center had been a target years before of terrorists, here it was going on again. And I quickly figured out that I'm not going to have a doctor's appointment. I better get back to the station. So what I did was got back on the subway and started heading downtown or heading, yes, down. And the subway stops. And that was the order, of course, to stop all subways because they were scared that there could be an attack on the subways. So I get out. I'm somewhere in Harlem. I don't even know where I am. Luckily. There was a cab that I was able to hail, and there weren't very many around. And he took me down toward the station, which was then at 57th and 7th. Couldn't get to 57th and 7th because of all the traffic that was coming the other way, and they blocked off everything going downtown. So we got down to as far as Columbus Circle, and he let me out there. Along the way, we're talking and, of course, talking about what's going on downtown, he says, I was just there. He said, I, I let off a fare at the World Trade Center at the Marriott Hotel. And he says, uh, you know, I was thinking maybe I'll just wait here for another fare. But then I thought, no, I'll head uptown. This is the cabbie. So he could have died there easily. He was just one of the lucky ones who was doing his job, made a decision and came uptown. 
Early reports had limited details. In a world before social media and iPhones, there was a delay in reporting what exactly was happening. Recapping, in case you're just joining us and wondering what is going on, it is beyond belief. Both towers of the World Trade Center are burning. Both have apparently been hit by aircraft. Uh, we're still unclear on the case of the second tower. The first definitely was, and television has been showing a videotape of a second plane, apparently the size of a twin-engine passenger jet, crashing into the second tower. Wow. And uh, obviously uh, we have uh, enormous loss of life. We can't confirm that, but just by looking at it, if people uh, who were on those floors that were hit survived, it, uh, it will be miraculous. All of our reporters are en route to the scene. Obviously, uh, it will do you no good to go anywhere near the vicinity of the World Trade Center. Please allow the uh, emergency crews, and many will be needed, to, to get in there. And uh, unfortunately, this is making the bombing of the World Trade Center look like oh. a relatively minor Perfect. incident. Thank you, Lee. Pretty much you have summed up what we do know, and frankly, it's not a whole lot. Uh, what we have said recently uh, that we heard from you, the FBI apparently, according to Associated Press, is investigating reports that two plane crashes at the World Trade Center are the result of possible foul play. Now, anybody who was uh, watching the video actually saw a plane crash into uh, the World Trade Center. The first explosion we did not see. That was on fire with smoke billowing, flames coming from inside the building. An absolutely huge gaping hole, debris falling down onto the street. As we're watching that horrific scene, another horrific scenario unfolds as we watch a plane actually crash into the second of the two World Trade Towers. Now, the first World Trade Tower that was hit is the one, as you heard James Faraday telling you before, that has the TV and radio antenna on top. The second plane crashing into the building that houses the observation deck on top. Obviously, at this point, no one has been able to get close enough to find out any immediate word on injuries or fatalities. But from the looks of things, it would be almost miraculous if there wasn't. I mean, it, you just have to accept the fact that this is probably going to be something where there are, are going to be fatalities and certainly injuries in, in the least. We were so, so completely wrapped up in what each individual was doing ourselves that there really wasn't time to even take it in. The writers were hunched over writing, the anchors were trying to go through the pieces of information we were getting, the reporters were sending things in. Uh, there was a lot of, there wasn't yelling, there was no yelling. It was a very coordinated chaos. You have to understand that 1010 wins before, during, and after 9-11 has always been a well-oiled machine. Did it go into overdrive? You bet your, you know what it did, but it still was and is a well-oiled machine. Everybody knew what they had to do. If you were told to do something, you did it and you did it to the best of your ability. It's becoming more and more clear that September 11th was not going to be a regular day. A second plane hits the South Tower. What originally was thought to be a terrible accident is now being looked at as an attack. An attack on New York City and the nation. I'm going to switch back to lower Manhattan and 1010 Wins account executive Joan Fleischer. Joan, were you able to see what happened to the second building? Yes, all of a sudden there was just a big explosion. 
that sort of mushroomed into the air, now um, on several several floors below the initial impact of the first plane, the plane is a fire in the second building now. Not the same floor, um, and I don't see where another plane could have hit from here. I well, on TV, they just showed videotape of what appeared to be a second plane flying into the second tower. Wow. That appeared to be a passenger jet, or at least something the size of a passenger jet. Wow, the first one I saw, and the only one I saw, was the one that went into the building that I'm looking at right, that I can see with the antenna on it. That's where there's a hole. At that moment, we didn't know exactly who we were at war with. Uh, we certainly had some vague ideas, since it wasn't the first time that the World Trade Center had been attacked. It had been attacked in 1993 by Islamists, so there was a lot of suspicion that uh, this was a non-state actor once again. Uh, responsible for this. It was, you know, hard to envision Russia or China or Austria flying planes into the World Trade Center. So we had a we had a vague idea of who we were dealing with. And of course, you know, within 24 hours, we knew exactly who we were dealing with. I really was concentrating on filtering the information and trying to get it out over the radio, because after this, a short time later, we heard about the Pentagon and we started getting reports of another plane headed up the Potomac, possibly headed either for the Capitol or the White House. So rather than having time to uh, think it through and have emotions about it, uh, this is uh, the thing that uh, you know people have to do in times of crisis if they are tasked with some profession, and that is to to do their jobs. You know, you feel about it later, but uh, this was the time to do, not to feel. This was just, we need to let people know what's going on. This is important because we may be there, one of the few outlets that they can get information from, so we need to be on the ball. The added pressure was the act of terrorism itself. Uh, letting people know what was going on was something that we always did. So that was a given. It was more trying to parse the tons of information that was coming in every couple of minutes and trying to turn that around as quickly as we could. People, of course, are frantic and they don't know what's going on. And I'll never forget that uh, I saw all these people crowding around a limousine and they're listening to the radio from the limousine. So they were just trying to get any information they could. And it was, as I imagine, I'm looking at this scene and I imagine, wow, this must have been what it was like, you know, in World War II when uh, the Japanese hit Pearl Harbor and everybody would be crowding around radios to listen to that. It was reminiscent of, of that. At least that's what I imagine. You're listening to Echoes from 9-11, the story of the September 11th attacks on the World Trade Center told through the voices of the people who covered it that day. 64 sunshine, low humidity today, temperatures around 80. At 880 on your AM dial, your all-news address is WCBS. Good morning, I'm Pat. This was already supposed to be a busy day for the 880 news staff. September 11th, 2001 happened to be primary day in New York City, a big day in helping decide who the next mayor would be. And coming up on WCBS 880... Monica and Bill, together again? 
We'll tell you where it might happen after we check sports. S&P futures are up. So are the Dow futures and the NASDAQ futures and Joe. Our team on the radio that morning included anchors Pat Carroll and Jeff Kaplan. We brought them together two weeks ago to relive that morning. My recollection was I had gone to get some coffee during commercials, uh, was coming back with the coffee, and our producer said, yeah, there's something going on at the World Trade Center. And I said, hey, what's that smoke? Are they doing construction at the Lincoln Tunnel? And I'm looking out the window. And that's when Tommy came on the air from the helicopter and said, something's going on here at the World Trade Center. Tom Kaminsky, Chopper 880. All right, uh, Pat, we are just currently getting a look at the World Trade Center. We have something that has happened here at the World Trade Center. We noticed flame and an awful lot of smoke from one of the towers of the World Trade Center. We are just coming up on uh, this scene. This is easily three-quarters of the way up. We are, uh, this has, whatever has occurred has just occurred. And from there, it's like kind of all your broadcast training kicks in there. You're not saying anything that you could possibly believe. How could this be happening? But, you know, it comes in your ear and you regurgitate it on the air. And I think that's all we did the entire morning. It also there were cameras on the scene, even though um, things got knocked out at times. So we could watch I mean, we could look out the window from a distance and see smoke, but we could watch and and sort of do the play-by-play by watching the TV monitors right in the studio, as well as what was coming over the wires and what producers were telling us. And and it was um, it was just breakneck speed for the next however many hours until at least noon. I think we finally took a breath. Yeah, it was fortunate we were at CBS headquarters doing the show because we had an internal feed where we could see all these different TV monitors from the World Trade Center. I mean, the television channels got knocked off the air, didn't they? It was a relentless pace. When I looked at the timeline to prepare for this conversation, it was every five minutes, you know, there was a new horrifying development or less. We want to talk to WCBS producer Kelly Edwards on the ground. Of course, uh, you you can see the fire. Where are you? I'm just about... I'm just about 15 blocks north of the World Trade Center right now on 7th Avenue. Fire trucks are screaming down 7th Avenue trying to get to this fire. It looks like the fire is about 10 blocks from the, I mean, excuse me, 10 stories from the top of the building. Flames are shooting out. Smoke is pouring out. This gash goes from one side of the building practically all the way to the other. You can see thick black smoke pouring out of the front of the building, the north side. I can also see it coming out of the west side, and it's certainly coming off the entire top of the building right now. It's completely covered with smoke. You can barely see the top of the building. You can see flames shooting out of the east side of that gash. The gash seems to be getting bigger. I can now see flames coming out of the east and the west side of the gash. It seems like the windows are breaking as the fire moves down the building. We were just flying by the seat of our pants. We were just reacting. We were almost doing a play-by-play of this horrible experience for everyone else. And you really did feel um, a responsibility and, and that you had a role to play because, as you say, everyone needed what we were providing that day. Now, we've gotten a look at least three sides of Tower Number 1, and that is the only building... It's exploding right now, Tommy. We're seeing... Another... 
another Apparently plane. that was another plane. We have a witness who we just spoke to a moment ago. We're hearing from Carl Tendler, who was at the Village Apartments in Washington Square. We're trying to bring him on the air. All right, that Carl? was a second plane uh, that just blew? number one. It's been another one, Carl. Yes, he hit in building number one. The other building. Yes, he flew right into it. Describe exactly what you just saw, yes, please. Yes, I saw this jet coming towards uh, the building. He was low. Uh, he was about halfway up. And he flew into, uh, it looked like the south side, south uh, east corner of, of the building. So uh, building number two is now burning. By this time, the entire resources of the 880 team were being thrown at the story, but the 880 coverage had a distinct head start because helicopter traffic reporter Tom Kaminsky was already in the air at that moment. WCBS News Time 848. It's traffic and weather together, sponsored by Henry Miller's Theater. Tom Kaminsky, Chopper 880. All right, uh, Pat, we are. The World Trade Center served as a daily beacon to Tom and the pilot of that ship. The Twin Towers served as the exclamation points to New York's famous skyline. Tom flew past them every day for decades. They were a part of his daily commute. His description of smoke rising from the North Tower is considered one of the earliest broadcast reports of the attacks that day. All right, uh, Pat, we are just currently getting a look at the World Trade Center. We have something that has happened here at the World Trade Center. We noticed flame and an awful lot of smoke from one of the towers of the World Trade Center. We are just coming up on uh, this scene. This is easily three-quarters of the way up. We are, uh, this has, whatever has occurred has just occurred uh, within uh, within minutes, and uh, we are trying to determine exactly what that is, but currently we have a lot of smoke at the top of the towers of the World Trade Center. We will keep you posted. Tom, we just saw that smoke go up at about the same time you did. It was like one huge puff. That's exactly what we had seen. We had seen what, uh, we had turned around, Jeff, we were at the George Washington Bridge. We had seen a fireball, and I can tell you it appears as though something has gone into the World Trade Center. I'm looking at the north side of what I believe, well, what is the North Tower, so I would uh, guess that's Tower Number 1. Correct me if I'm wrong, but this is about three-quarters of the way up, maybe even three-fourths of the way up Tower 1. There is smoke now billowing out of the top of the World Trade Center. I'm looking at what appears to be broken windows. Uh, I want to say that this is about... Uh, ten stories down from the top, maybe a little bit more than that. But there now appears to be smoke pouring out of the gash of the north side of the World Trade Center. My heavens, this has just just happened within several minutes. Uh, let's try. We're going to try to get a little bit of additional detail about this. Uh, but currently, uh, Lower Manhattan is, uh, I, I would say, as of right now, going to be a big, big trouble spot to say the least. The inbound side of the Lincoln, about a 30-minute delay. The Holland, about a 40-minute delay. Let's go back over to Craig Allen, Tom, WCBS. Yes, go Before ahead. we go to Craig, can we stay with you for a second? Absolutely. We're going to describe yeah. what we saw because we have a distant view of the Trade Center from our studio here in Midtown Manhattan. What we saw was one giant plume of smoke. Not a very dark color smoke, but a light color smoke. Well, uh, it Jeff, was uh, All right, what, what we had seen, we were at the George Washington Bridge beginning to make our way south. We saw what appeared to be literally a fireball at the top of the World Trade Center. I am just coming up now and uh, looking at uh, looking at the north face of the World Trade Center. Uh, it appears, at least from this vantage point, that something has hit it. Something has gone into the World Trade Center. I do not have that confirmed in any way, shape, or form, but there is a gash across... Uh, I, I would want to say about 10 stories down from the top of the World Trade Center. 
we were at the George Washington Bridge when the first plane, unbeknownst to us, flew right over our heads, uh, which was not anything that was all that unusual because occasionally there would be uh, landings at LaGuardia Airport using that approach. So we didn't even think anything of it. Uh, and we had been facing northbound looking for a collision on the Major Deacon Expressway, which we never did find. But that's the reason we were there that late, because this was toward the end of our shift. We started down the Hudson River because we were heading home. We were heading back to Linden Airport. And we saw the flash and the fireball. And my pilot said, I think that was a plane. And I said, are you sure? He goes, I'm not. He said, but I think it might be. And he called LaGuardia Airport. Our designation, our call sign at the time on the aircraft was uh, 8BQ, 8 Bravo Quebec. And he called November 8, uh, 8 Bravo Quebec. Did you guys just lose an aircraft? And we didn't hear anything. And he called him again and said, um, LaGuardia 8BQ, did you just lose one? And all we heard was standby. In the next couple of minutes, we were getting in for some scant information, but our first instinct was to head toward it. And in that 60 to 90 second period, we uh, had gotten about as far as the Lincoln Tunnel and when Pat uh, tossed it to me. There is smoke now billowing out of the top of the World Trade Center. I'm looking at what appears to be broken windows. Uh, I want to say that this is about uh, 10 stories down from the top, maybe a little bit more than that. But there now appears to be smoke pouring out of the gash of the north side of the World Trade Center. My heavens, this has just, just happened within several minutes. Uh, let's try, we're going to try to get a little bit of additional detail about this. Uh, but Do you think of it often? Do you hear uh, your own voice in, in your head when you think about 9-11? I, I don't hear my voice in my head, mostly because I don't really remember saying the things that I said. It was just, it was so chaotic that the only time I really remembered saying some of the things that I said was when I listened back to the tape. There's, there's one, I, I blurt out the words, my heavens, at some point, uh, as I'm watching this unfold. That's a phrase I never use, um, and I don't recall saying it. My heavens, this has just, just happened within several minutes. Uh, let's try, we're going to try to get a little bit of additional detail about this. I don't remember necessarily saying the words that I said on the air, but I remember the, the things surrounding that. Um, I remember looking down. I used to write things down on a clipboard. Uh, I remember looking down at the clipboard in my hands, and the clipboard was shaking as this was going on. Well, the new information that we have is that all non-essential travel is uh, being banned. In other words, there uh, are no, uh, there's no one allowed at the Port Authority uh, crossings. Uh, Jeff had asked earlier, uh, were people being allowed to leave? Currently, they are not. Uh, there is no one allowed uh, at the Port Authority crossings, no one into or out of Manhattan from any conceivable direction. We were pretty much out of fuel, so it was our deter or it was our thought that we were going to go to our old base of operations, which was about uh, six or seven miles north of the trade center. Uh, we knew that they had fuel. Um, we knew the guy that that owned the place and got fuel. We got clearance from LaGuardia uh, from uh, Teterboro Airport and got about fifty feet off the ground. And the air traffic controller said, uh, "8BQ, you guys need to land immediately. The airspace has been sterilized." You need to land immediately. 
You know, I remember coming down the west side of highway and just being stunned at these two candles with the thick black smoke rising in the sky. WCBS reporter Peter Haskell back with us from Chelsea Piers. All right, Pat, what we have seen uh, probably for the last hour or so, people flooding up along uh, the West Side Highway, that new pedestrian walkway. Those folks work in lower Manhattan, and basically they were all sent home. A lot of the folks uh, were... Uh, aware of that first plane crash hitting the building, so they were looking out the window when they saw uh, the second plane hit. And I ended up stopping at Chelsea Piers because the traffic was really bad. And as people flooded up the highway, I talked to some people. They talked about getting out of the building. And now many of them are thankful that they're safe, but wondering how they're going to get home, regardless of where they live, whether it's New Jersey or Westchester or Long Island. We spoke to one man who was, uh, saw the second plane hit and was uh, here at Chelsea Piers having walked uptown. And then we were all standing down below trying to figure out what, you know, what happened. So when the second plane hit, we all know it was a terrorist attack, so everyone just started you know, running away. It was ridiculous. Where were people running to? They were in every direction. At Chelsea Piers, they use the TV studios they have there to build makeshift hospital rooms or emergency rooms. It was almost like looking at the TV show MASH. And I was there before it started, so nobody really noticed me. Uh, As we came to learn, those beds and those gurneys were not needed. And just the sheer... I'm not even sure still what words to use about the surprise when those towers disappeared. I mean, it was just something I never could have imagined, even watching the buildings burn. And from that day, it's just still hard to wrap my head around. And I still really don't like watching the video of the towers falling. It's just still so painful to see. You're listening to Echoes from 9-11, the story of the September 11th attacks on the World Trade Center told through the voices of the people who covered it that day. Reporters are a different breed. 10 Winds reporter Juliet Papa is down on 14th Street, and Juliet, what's the situation there? Well, Lee, I have been driving down 9th Avenue to head to the scene, but on my way I got the first glimpse of the smoke that's emanating from the towers. And uh, as I'm here on 14th Street, right around Bleecker, I have a bird's eye view of this gaping hole, which is uh, several stories high at the top end of the Trade Center, and smoke is just billowing out. Much like fire, police, and emergency services, radio reporters rush to trouble when everybody else is running away. And even before they understood what was going on, the WINS team of reporters rushed into Lower Manhattan. The group included seasoned veterans John Montone and Juliet Pop. As I'm driving, I thought better of parking my car near the FBI office in the federal building because I thought, what if they're a target? You know, by this time, it seemed to be obvious this was a terror attack or there, that was the strong speculation because everything was getting hit. There was a plane heading for um, Washington, D.C. And you just know, you know, this is terrible. This is um, a coordinated assault on the United States. So I said, well, I better not park by the federal building because I don't know if that's getting blown up. So I got as far south as I could and I got out and I just started going on foot. 
and I saw people streaming up the street. They were running, their fear on their face. They were just tearing out, and and the area was getting evacuated pretty much. Uh, There were just cops, FBI agents, emergency service workers telling people, get out, get out. They wanted people north of Canal Street, and I couldn't do that. I had to stay down there because I had a report. Let's go back to 1010 Winds newsman John Montone. He's about uh, four, five, six blocks not, away. Not, e- not even, Lee, a little, uh, little closer than that. And uh, I did not want to uh, be the one who uh, spread any type of a panic uh, mentioning a terrorist attack earlier. Uh, but now that you have mentioned it, I will tell you that almost everyone I have spoken to on the street as I was uh, running uh, down to the World Trade Center said the same thing, that from what they had either heard heard from other people or had been able to glimpse by themselves, they said it appeared as if the planes made a beeline uh, for the uh, Twin Towers. I got a, a page, we had pagers back then, and it said, uh, call the station, a small plane hit the World Trade Center. And when a plane, no matter what size, hits the World Trade Center, uh, you don't question it you just take off and head to the world trade center which i did while i was calling the station we had a a car phone it was uh, sat on top of the middle console console and i you know hit the memory and got on and they said yeah looks like a small plane it's smoking a bit uh try to get down there and lee harris was on the air and by that time uh, he was suggesting that it was anything but a small plane that it was a jetliner, and uh, oh my God, what an accident, I thought. Uh, I got on the uh, southbound FDR and uh, stayed close behind uh, some uh, ambulances that were screaming uh, down the FDR. Other cars were making uh, way, and I was able to follow right behind them, and that's when I heard Lee uh, interviewing one of our uh, ad reps, salesperson, uh, uh, Joan Fleischer, who lives down there near the Trade Center, and she screamed. And uh, that's when Lee said a second plane has hit the South Tower. The first one hit the North Tower. The second one hit the South Tower. And I immediately knew we're under attack. Uh, I managed to somehow get down there in record time. I ditched my uh, station car, the 1010 Winds mobile unit, uh, on Broadway a few blocks from the towers. And as I was going down, people were running away, and I managed to get a bunch of uh, interviews with them. Uh, However, my car phone and uh, also this this little cell phone I, I had at the time, neither one was working. I could not get to the station. I ran into an establishment uh, called the Record Explosion, which was a store on Broadway that I often stopped in when I was near City Hall. I love music and I collect uh, music and they knew me very well and they let me use their landline to go on the air. And I was able to place, uh, as I recall, was able to play some of the quick interviews I had gotten a few minutes earlier. Um, And then uh, they were gonna go to a news conference, I think in Washington and I said, Uh, to them, okay, I'm going to go back down to the towers and see what's going on. And that was the last they heard of me for a a good long time. I believe uh, 
they thought the worst uh, had happened. Winds reporters were starting to check in from all across the city, such as Eileen LaPalmer from New York City Hall. Let's go to 1010 Winds reporter Eileen LaPalmer. She is at City Hall. Eileen? Well, Lee, I'm here live outside of City Hall. The entire, as you can imagine, it is absolute chaos here. The entire city has come to a standstill. Everyone just standing, looking at the smoke pouring out of the World Trade Center at this moment. When I think back about it, it amazes me that we were able to drive that fast on the FDR at 8.48 in the morning (laughs) because it's rush hour, the end of rush hour. So I'm going from the 50s down there. So we jump on the FDR. I've got a cab right away. And we get off at South Street and then, like, come around by City Hall. And so as we got closer, obviously, you could hear all the sirens and everything. And we got to, we got off at uh, Wirt Street, which is where, like, the federal courthouse is. Then we hit snarled traffic. So I just told him, all right, all right, stop. I'm getting out. I'm getting out. And, of course, he was listening to 1010 Winds on the way there. And I told him what I was doing. And he's like, what's going on? I was like, I don't know. Hurry up and get me there. And I jumped out at the federal courthouse because I knew I now had to run to the World Trade Center because I had to get there. By mid-morning, with Lower Manhattan a smoky, chaotic mess, it was already the worst day in our city's history. But it was about to get dramatically worse. And uh, all of this, the world... Oh, uh... wait. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. The building fell. Are you there? The building just fell. Which, which building? Oh, my God. The South Building building just crumbled from the top. Oh, my God. The building just fell. The entire World Trade Center on the the South Building just fell. I just saw the whole thing. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I can't see anything. The whole thing went down. What? Oh, my God. Oh, I saw the building crumble. It's all the way down. I can't see. I can't see at what point it's still standing. Oh, my God. (sighs) What Joan is saying is true. The the, the tower has... 29 minutes later, the North Tower... As I look out, something is... I can't... It looks as though the building is going. Is that the building going down? Is that the second building of the World Trade Center going down? Yes, that is the second. That is the second tower. That is the second tower. It's a huge plume of smoke that came out of the middle of the building, and then the building just disappeared in the smoke. It is an incredible sight. People around me are taking a look. I cannot even describe it. It is is one of those rare moments where you just can't describe it. It looked as though it was a puff of cloud, uh, almost like a firework explosion of cloud. No noise with it. And then all of a sudden, I I just blinked my eyes. I looked back up. You might have heard the people in the background going, oh, my God. And the second building appears to have gone down. Yes, you're absolutely right, Ben. That is the second uh, building that has gone down. It, It came out like a plume of smoke, like a banana unpeeling. Plumes of smoke coming out and then absolutely nothing. And now where there were two huge buildings, two huge towers, there is now nothing but plumes of smoke. Can you still see where you're looking at, Ben? 
All I see now is the clouds are beginning to drift away, and in its place, a uh, bit of the clear sky behind it, and it, it is a remarkable lifelong New York. You know, when you come into the city and you look around the panoramic view, you see the Empire State Building, you see the Chrysler Building, and then you pan down to the south of Manhattan, and you always expect to see the World Trade Center towers there. It's just, it just it's habit. You just expect to see it. Now to look there, to see it vacant, except for a cloud of smoke. Uh, Even 1010 Winds reporters like Glenn Shuck stuck outside the city caught some of the most horrifying images of the day. I did see many people jumping from the building, too. It's a terrible, nightmarish thing that you can't believe you're even seeing. And I remember after that first building fell, and I, you know, and I think about it now, you know, you sit there and you just can't believe it. And you don't really even probably realize how many people just lost their lives in that 30 seconds. I remember smelling gas. I remember the smell of, of gas of when that building came down, the gas lines, you know, erupting. And it just from Canal Street South, it just smelled of gas. Um, there were people, you know, running north to get out of there as I was going down south with other reporters. And, you know, it's our job. So we, that's what we did. And I was safe enough away where I wasn't going to be, you know, hit by anything, although you're certainly covered with the debris. I wasn't going to be in any you know, life threatening situation. At least we didn't think so. So, um, you know, again, it's a situation that none of us have ever been in. Nothing had ever happened in the United States like that before. You know how we were going to cover it, how we were going to you know, react. It was a minute by minute situation. As each tower collapsed, a dark and angry dust cloud sent tens of thousands running for their lives. Among them, Winds reporter Eileen LaPalmer. Let's go now to 1010 Winds reporter Eileen LaPalmer. We tried to hook up with her a few moments ago down at City Hall, and we do have her now. Eileen? Well, sorry, Lee. As you can imagine, it is absolute chaos here. They, uh, the police are moving everyone north. The objective here is to get everyone as far away from the World Trade Center as possible. Right now, I am on uh, Chambers Street here near 26 Federal Plaza. The police are evacuating all... There was no concept of time, right? It was just chaos. People screaming, crying, sirens, dust, darkness. And so when one of the towers fell, and I don't remember which one, I was along Broadway, just like a block and a half from the World Trade Center. And there was a cop who was there and he started yelling, you gotta move, you gotta move. I just remember, and he he yelled, the tower's coming down, the tower's coming down. I thought he was crazy, right? Because how could that happen? Then I remember thinking, I'm a block and a half from the tower. Like, I thought it was going to be like a tree falling. I didn't think it would pancake. But then as I'm on the street corner deciding, I mean, instance, right? Like, where where do I go? Where do I run? What do I do? And then it was like an earthquake. The entire ground was shaking as I guess it was coming down. And then he was yelling and then he was pushing us. So now there was a swarm of people. And I got pushed into a doorway of a building right across from City Hall. And I remember hearing the cop yelling. And then there was a woman with a cane who was next to me. And she was getting pushed beyond her capacity to walk. I mean, because it was just a mob now of people getting pushed. And she and I got pushed into this doorway. And I just remember her whimpering. Whimpering, because I think she was being pushed. She might have lost her cane. 
And then it was darkness. Because that cloud. The, so the people pushed. The cloud came down. The glass in the door shattered. And I was on the floor. Veteran reporter John Montone thought he had seen it all covering the streets of New York in his long career. That is, until his brush with death on 9-11. Yes, I am, Judy, and I have to describe the most incredible scene of my life. Uh, Right after I got off the air with Lee about an hour ago, I was talking to people on Broadway, getting descriptions of what they had seen when I decided to take a walk back down toward the uh, Trade Center. Fortunately, a doorman in one of the buildings, and, and God, I don't know if he survived, told me to get out of there, to walk the other way. I did. As I was back on Broadway, people began screaming, the building began crumbling, and it began rolling as if it was, uh, as if it was um, some sort of an earthquake uh, combined with a volcano, the ash was everywhere, we could not see a thing, there were people running in all directions, finally hundreds of us went into a building on Broadway, we got into that building and it was almost impossible to breathe, and there were several minutes when all of us thought we would die in that building. Finally, somebody found an exit. We got out of that building, and what we saw on the street was nothing short of what you you would see uh, in a nuclear winter. There was just ash and debris piled about four or five inches high, uh, just as as people were walking by, just as people were, were kicking the ash up. A Burger King about four blocks away opened its doors to us. We were able to get some water on us, able to, to wet napkins. These were, the, these were the most helpful people in the world, like Red Cross volunteers. So hundreds of people who thought they were going to die in that building got out. They got water. But, but One woman screamed out, uh, it's falling or it's coming down or something. And in my mind's eye, I, I thought of the building kind of collapsing the way you would think of just falling flat. But it didn't, of course. It, it vaporized, and and it and it was like just this. Uh, I think I described it as a, a dry tsunami. It was this swoosh, and it just debris, uh, the, the concrete, steel, um, human bodies, everything that was in the South Tower just turned to dust. And there was a a, a stampede of people. Uh, I got pushed. Uh, and shoved. I was underneath a bunch of people. I I managed to get up and uh, everybody was trying to take cover in some of those buildings on Broadway. And I got in one and it was so tight in the hallway. People were actually coming in from Nassau Street, the other side of the building. And it was like, I was going to, this is where I was going to die. And I thought of Mary and I thought of our our, our children. And I, I was still calm. I just thought, oh my God, crazy, crazy way. And that lasted for maybe a minute when people on the Nassau side began pushing their way out into the street, realizing this wasn't going to work. We couldn't all fit in here. And when I got out onto the street on the Nassau street uh, side, I remember uh, two things. I remember looking down and my microphone was no longer attached to my recorder. And I just thought, oh, oh my, this is, I lost all of my interviews. They're gone. We were using at the time these little mini disc 
quarters, which were consumer level, that probably was a mistake, but that's what the technology was at the time. And it pulled right off, I guess, in the stampede. The other thing I looked up, and I, I believe I used this on the air, I said it looked like nuclear winter, that beautiful blue September sky was obliterated. It was gray and, and gray black ash was falling softly to earth. Uh, people were walking around, you know, business guys from the financial district walking around with attache cases and stuff just in circles. It's like they didn't know where to go next. Uh, so that was uh, my immediate uh, reaction when I got out of the building back onto the street. You are listening to Echoes from 9-11. The World Trade Center attacks told through the voices of those who covered it. In the words of WCBS News Radio 880 reporter Sean Adams, there is no playbook for how to cover a story like 9-11. Sean's coverage that day, along with Allison Keyes, Mary Gay Taylor, and our producer Kelly Edwards, was nothing short of heroic. WCBS reporter Allison Keyes nearly got hit by the falling debris just a little while ago uh, after the uh, collapse of that one tower about 15 minutes ago, and she joins us live now on the line. Allison, what's going on now? I'm standing at the corner of Fulton and Dutch where it is clear just about enough for you to see the sky. There is an inch of dust or dirt on the ground. People are walking down the street coughing. Everybody is covered with soot. Uh, I have not seen that many injured people, but frankly, I haven't had the nerve to go too much back near that building. Mary Gay, Allison, and Sean were all caught in the cloud of debris as the towers collapsed. The streets are filled with people, stunned, scared, frightened, crying, staring upward. Sean Adams remembers it like it was yesterday. He was the morning reporter on WCBS 880 on the phone, about to go live on a different story, when the planes hit. I immediately dropped the phone and started driving, so uh, I got on the FDR. And I got behind every flashing light I could to drive as fast as I could. And the whole way down, I listened to uh, Jeff and Pat and Tom, and they were giving me the, the, the basic information to know what I was walking into. We should also note uh, one of our former producers, Kelly Edwards. She was on air with you, and she was in lower Manhattan. She was able to give some vivid descriptions of what she saw. People here on the street are crying. People are running into the street with their cameras. I've seen people running into the street with their bathrobes on. Everybody has a cell phone to their ear, but nobody can get through to anybody. There are a lot of people concerned about their friends and their children in daycare. People are going to pick up their families right now. I'm looking at the towers right now in the North Tower. The windows are peeling down like runs in a nylon. When I got down to the World Trade Center, uh, you know, I was standing at the tip of City Hall Park looking up and it was uh, absolutely impossible to comprehend the enormity of the situation. You see what's in front of you, but you can't believe it because it's so much uh, larger than anything you've ever experienced before. The streets are packed with people. Almost every building has just about been emptied. The streets are filled with people, stunned, scared, frightened, crying, staring upward at this ominous, 
dark, uh, uh, horrible symbol in the sky. The, the two towers are flaming, both of them. The, the flames are racing up the side of the building, bright orange. The smoke uh, sort of shimmies up the side of the building uh, for several floors, and then the wind gets hold of it and is pulling it to the southeast, and that's why all of that paper and debris is floating out all over Brooklyn. You talk about the instinct of a news person. The instinct of a street reporter is to go straight to the action. I was running to go to the plaza. Uh, I knew exactly where the command post would be. I mean, I'm intimately familiar with uh, the, uh, the World Trade Center, but I couldn't go there because there was so much debris falling and it was incredibly dangerous. And so I had to shake myself because th there's no playbook for covering something this, this, uh, this horrible. They don't teach you in journalism school how to do this. I shake myself. I stood there. I said, first thing, do not get killed. In my mind, I made a mental perimeter. I said, I'm going to stay back a block from the plaza to ensure my own safety. I said, I can't do any good if I'm dead. Joining us live now is our reporter, Allison Keys. Uh, she is uh, witnessing... Allison, are you there? I'm here. I'm at the corner of Broadway. A horrific and scene. A horrific scene. Tell us it, about it. It is horrible here. There are people coming down the street with burns. There are people crying. Panicked people are coming out of the building, and you can actually see bodies falling from the top floors of the World Trade Center every now and then. People are standing in the street in tears. People are panicking and calling their families. One gentleman told me he was on the 65th floor standing next to an elevator when the elevator exploded and knocked him out of his shoes. Another woman said that she was working on the 49th floor and she's seen people in the stairwells with burns, broken arms. People are passing out of the stairwells from the heat. She says there's a lot of heat and smoke. It's a horrible scene here. I'm live at Broadway in Fulton. Allison Keys, WCBS 880 News. All right, thank you, Allison. I'm Jeff Kaplan. I'm Pat Carroll. And the nation is on full terrorist alert. Planes crashing into the World Trade Center. Two of them about an hour ago. And now it looks as though the tower has just collapsed. WCBS 880. Right here, right now. Oh my God, this is horrible. It looks like the North Tower of the World Trade Center has just completely collapsed. Where the building once stood, there is nothing but smoke. There is smoke billowing and covering all the surrounding smaller skyscrapers. This must have happened within the past 20 or 30 seconds. We're Our WCBS producer Kelly Edwards was caught in that cloud of smoke when the tower collapsed into the ground just about 10 minutes ago. Kelly's joining us live. Uh, where are you now? You okay? Uh, yeah, I'm okay. I'm on 7th Avenue South. I'm uh, about 10, 15 blocks north. I'm looking at the North Tower, still heavy smoke coming out of it. Some of the smoke on the side is now beginning to clear, and I see blue sky behind it. I do not see any South Tower. Part of the South Tower is normally obscured by the North Tower from my vantage point, but I can tell you that I'm looking at blue sky where I was looking at the South Tower of the World Trade Center. I can tell you the reaction on the street. There are people sobbing. There are people frantically trying to dial their cell phones. Many of them don't know that service has been cut off. Everybody is sharing what little information they have with each other. For some reason, as far away as we are, people are walking south. People are walking toward this disaster. But I can tell you that people are very, very frightened. They are trembling. Uh, I do, did talk to one eyewitness who saw the first plane 
go into the North Tower. She said it was clearly a commercial airline, and as she watched it, before it actually hit the tower, she said it sputtered, it sounded like it was having engine trouble, it did not occur to her that this might be a terrorist attack. She assumed that it was a plane going out of control, losing its engines. She said it was making a lot of loud rumbling noises before it even hit the tower. Then I was like, what do I do? Phones didn't work. Communications were knocked out. I had to get to a phone. On Park Row across from City Hall, there was a blimpy base, a sandwich shop. Locked up. The guys in there were petrified. I banged on the door. Let me on the phone. I was able to do some reports from there. Then I was just trying to grab people coming out. What's it like inside? What's going on? Just trying to, it, it's your job as a reporter to be a witness to what's happening. So I was just trying to give descriptions. This is what it's like. This is what I see. This is what's good. It was just a cacophony of sirens and screams. There were shoes and briefcases and bags in the street because people dropped what they had and ran for their lives. I would grab a few people and I say, how can I be helpful here? I, I grabbed, I don't know how many people, but I just, where, what's your name? Where are you from? And I said a few names on the radio. John Smith from Rockland County is out and he's, he's heading home. Maybe his family heard it. I hope his family heard it. How could you be useful in that situation? And then I was told uh, to find Giuliani, find the mayor, go to his people. They'll be on Church Street. I went to Church Street. I found one of his press people. I had my back to the trade center. I said hi to her. She said hi to me. And then we heard this noise, this rumble, this roar, and turned and saw the building pitch and then start to come down. And we just ran. And our reporter, Sean Adams, who has been checking in with us all morning, uh, now at uh, Church and Walker. That's right. We've had to track uh, north to get away from that cloud of uh, dust and smoke and debris that has totally enveloped all of lower Manhattan. Uh, what we can tell you is the critical uh, thing. Hello? You still there? We're yes, still we're with here. you. Go ahead. The critical thing for people to do right now, if you are in lower Manhattan, move north slowly and orderly. Police are trying to move you north. They need the streets clear for emergency vehicles. Uh, there's an emergency vehicle racing up Church Street right now. People who are gawking and onlooking, you really need just to get out of the area. We heard jets roaring overhead a short while ago. Uh, the, what we saw when the, when the building came down, all I saw was the initial uh, 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 start of it. It was a thunderous boom. I was on Church and Park. I gazed up, and right where the uh, building had been slashed on either side and where the corner had uh, basically been broken, that's where it started to break, and everything started to come down. And after that, I didn't see a thing. I ran. Uh, everyone uh, just evacuated the area. People were tripping over one another. Shoes were left in the street. Emergency work. Breaking news on WCBS 880. Right here, right now. The first second, one and now the other one. The second tower of the World Trade Center has just completely collapsed. We're looking outside our window. WCBS reporter Sean Adams. I got Sean. Okay. Here we go. Sean, you saw it happen? I did indeed. I was on Church Street and I was trying to help a, a gentleman who was caught in the first collapse. He was covered in white dust. And then all of a sudden we heard a rumble. We looked up. There was an enormous plume of black smoke billowing up above the tower. And then all of a sudden a roar. And it came down. And it didn't come down in one piece uh, like the other one seemed to do at the top. It just... it crumbled. It was like a house of cards. Bits of, of metal and debris just started to rain upwards and then downwards. There was smoke and then there was basically a tidal wave of dust and smoke that started to just run its course up Church Street and it's slowly making its way up this way now. Both towers are gone. We're seeing chilling CBS video looking from New Jersey across the Statue of Liberty and beyond that. It looks like any war zone you might have seen out of World War II or Vietnam or Korea or the Persian Gulf War.
it was just this roar and the sound of footsteps and people breathing heavily and hoping and praying that the debris doesn't start to rush past you and wash over you and engulf you and knock you to the ground. I was able to get to Broadway and look down and that's when it blew past St. Paul's Chapel. It went up, it went every direction, it blotted out the sky where we were and chased us. And we had to run to stay away from it. By the time I ran north up to, by the federal building, there was a deli, I went in the deli, long lines of people getting water to wash out the debris. I said, give me your phone. They gave me the phone, it worked, I called in and that was the first report I was able to give after the South Tower collapsed. And that report is the only way that my family knew I was not dead because they were all listening on the radio. Today, Allison Keyes is an award-winning correspondent for CBS News Radio and is part of their coverage of this anniversary. Allison Keyes, CBS News. Kelly Edwards retired from our WCBS staff years ago, but we reconnected to hear from her. Kelly, where did it come from when you came on the air with such vivid descriptions? You were describing the North Tower. You said the windows are peeling down like runs in a nylon. You could, when we heard you say those words, they stuck with us and continued to all these years later. Where'd that come from? You know, I don't even wear nylons. (laughs) I don't know where it came from. I just started, I saw things peeling down, the windows peeling down, or maybe they were breaking out, but it, they were all peeling down from that one spot, from that one seam of fire that went all the way around that top floor. And um, I don't know why I thought that. It's just they were peeling down like runs, like when you try to stop a run and another one starts and I, I don't know why I saw that, but that's the way it appeared to me. And we will never forget the reporting that day from our own Mary Gay Taylor. I didn't know it. She was a block south of me. She was a block closer to the Trade Center. She's basically across the street. And when the South Tower collapsed, uh, she had nowhere to go. She couldn't run. Uh, she dove under the bumper of an emergency vehicle and her world went black. It just went completely dark and she thought she was dead. And she inhaled all of that uh, dust and uh, flashlight broke through the darkness and uh, she was let out. She was able to get back to City Hall and get on the microphone and had the composure to tell her story of the collapse and how she survived. Uh, I was, uh, to this day, it's, it sends chills up my spine and I, I just want to remember her for that, uh, that amazing piece of reporting amid such a horrible experience. I realized I couldn't get out of range, so I got under an EMS truck. You okay to spend a moment and tell us exactly what you saw? I mean, you were at the Millennium Hotel right across the street from the World Trade Center when when the building collapsed. They had just told us to get out. It wasn't safe, but they had people sitting in chairs around there, so, you know. uh, And I, I was standing there and saw the thing go up and heard it. So I ran like everyone, but I couldn't get far enough, so I ducked under a EMS truck bumper. And it stuff started raining down on us, and it was pitch black. And I began to get covered up, so I couldn't breathe. So I backed out a little bit <clears throat> and um, tried to spit the stuff out. Well, after a while, it stopped coming down, and uh, the there was an EMS uh, lieutenant there, and he had a flashlight. I kept saying, "Why can't I see?" It was pitch black. I thought my eyes had been blinded, and uh, it was dark. It was just it was still coming down. So uh, they they uh, helped us. Everybody has it in their eyes and their 
throat and their mouth, but I'm just glad I wasn't buried alive there. They let us out of there. They what, had what to sacrifice of, my tape recorder. I'm sorry. That's, that's, okay. that's quite all right. We got you back. What now, kind of debris was falling? Was it, was it soot? It's, like it's a story that is retold every year. Days after the attacks, a firefighter with the dust of 9-11 still on him walked into the broadcast center on 57th Street and dropped off the recorder, never saying a word. It had Mary Gay's name and number on it. Mary Gay passed away in 2006. Her family donated the recorder to the 9-11 Museum. You are listening to Echoes from 9-11, the World Trade Center attacks told through the voices of those who covered it. And now here we are, 20 years later, still fighting the emotions of our experiences that day. Can I be honest? I don't think I've ever processed it. Former 880 News anchor Jeff Kaplan. It's still a day full of numb, followed by tears. And because I left the New York area, while they were still building the new tower and the memorial, maybe I never got that closure that everybody else did. I don't know, but I'm still choked up now hearing Sean speak about this and hearing Tommy talk about his experience. Winds News anchor Larry Cantor. It affected every one of us in a different way, each individually. And it was years later when I saw the Broadway play come from away. And that's the story of the people of Gander, Newfoundland. When the, uh, when the uh, terror attacks happened, they ordered all planes to uh, come down and land. And many of them landed in Canada. Gander, Newfoundland has a, uh, a, a runway that's big enough to handle big jets. And it used to be a refueling stop for planes that were going across the Atlantic. As the years went by, the planes didn't need to refuel. And uh, Gander kind of became what it was before, which is a small town in Newfoundland. Well, at this time, they ordered tons of planes. How many? I, I even looked this up. It was uh, 38 commercial planes landed in Gander. They didn't have space to park them all. And they certainly didn't have space for the 6,000 or so people who were on those planes and had to remain in Gander for days. So the uh, play was about what Gander did and how they came together to help these people. And it was a very uplifting play. Don't get me wrong. But after it was over, I couldn't stop sobbing. I was crying uncontrollably. And to this day, when I think about it, I, tears come to my eyes. That's how it came out for me. I'm sure it came out differently for everyone else who worked through the terror attacks and, and the aftermath. But it, uh, in the heat of the moment, when you're reporting it, you just report it. And to a person, everyone there that day continues to carry it with them 20 years later. 880 helicopter traffic reporter Tom Kaminsky. Anyone who went through it, that day, whether you were in my position or you were a reporter or you were just waiting for a family member or you were in law enforcement or firefighter, something changed in you that day. On a molecular level, something changed. And I think that's really important to remember that while we have generations now of people that don't have that recollection, you have a lot of people that do.
the phrase never forget for me means that things can change at a moment's notice and that we really only have today. You know, it is one day at a time. Sometimes it's one hour or one minute at a time. It's that, that's, that's what never forget means uh, to me, just to, to, to know that, that life is, is fleeting. Life can end in a moment and things can change in a heartbeat. And it's important in the context of the entire story to, to not forget that. 1010 Winds reporter Glenn Shuck. You talk to people who live in Battery Park or this or that, the things they saw that day, you know, that's something that doesn't go away. It eases, you know, but the, the, it was just so much tragedy and so much catastrophe and just all at once. And it, I, I have to tell you, I mean, there's not, whenever time I go in that building, I just don't feel comfortable. I mean, it's a combination of things, probably. I'm never afraid of heights. I just, I don't feel comfortable being in there. Um, and I'm sure there's others that too. You know, but again, but what a triumph, right? You look, you do look at it and you think, wow, you know, you look at that site now and the memorial of the museum. It's just so well done and so beautiful. But uh, it's, you know, and then you think back, what was there? I mean, I think I was at a press conference with uh, Larry Silverstein, the developer of the World Trade Center, a week before 9-11. And we were sitting out by the, the front courtyard of the towers there having a press conference. And then that's all gone. You know, and it's, uh, it's just catastrophic. There's no other word to say it. And it, and it stays with you. I, I know. A lot of people that feel the same way as me, they just really don't feel comfortable um, going in there at all. Eileen LaPalmer from WINS has also struggled with the memory. This is the first time I'm talking about this in 20 years. It's not something that I want to relive, right? I mean, so I am curious to see how they did the museum. I'm sure they did it fabulously. I don't, I mean, think about how painful it is. You know, I don't want to relive it and walk through there and, you know, the, the way, you know, sometimes you just cope by not thinking of it, right? So that's why I'm not sure if I would go or when I would go or how I would go or how much of a support system I would need to go and see it. But Kelly Edwards, the WCBS producer who painted such vivid word pictures that day, says listening back to that coverage and talking about that day has actually helped her manage the trauma. Kelly now lives in the Pacific Northwest. Well, I know everybody's different in how they deal with trauma, um, but I feel like the way to deal with trauma for me is to look at it. I, I listened to my own air tape a lot after that incident for about a year. And then I put it away for a long time and didn't listen to it. Um, but people would ask me about 9-11 and talking about it was very therapeutic for me. And now that we're coming on the anniversary, I've listened to it again. It picks me up. When I hear my own voice on the air, it makes me cry because I know what was going on. But I kind of feel like you just have to always talk about it and look at it or, or watch the memorial on TV. Whatever it is, for me, facing it is the best way. The concern for 1010 Winds reporter Al Jones that the passage of time will mean the fading of memories. You know, for a lot of people, yes, it does. It it uh, it kind of fades a little bit. Obviously, if you lost someone uh, close to you or a colleague or a friend or relative, you know, it never goes away. But yeah, you, you, the years go by. Um, and I think this 20th anniversary will kind of be, um, you know, put the spotlight back on. Uh, obviously, the light's 
which is another cool thing they do with the uh, the spotlights into the night. Aren't those nice? But they'll, um, you know, I think our attention will be once again riveted on uh, on that area, and you know that it'll be a little quiet until the twenty fifth. I mean, um, it's kind of the way we are. We, we we're moving forward, but at the same time, you know, everybody keeps an eye, and everybody knows if you were down there, if you lived in the city, if you lived through it, if you were a little kid, if you were an older person, doesn't matter. Uh, you'll never forget it. No one's ever gonna forget what happened. But we do, um, we do tend to move forward. And uh, you're right, the last couple of years have been a little subdued. So uh, we'll see what happens here with the 20th. Move forward, but never forget. WCBS's Sean Adams. We need to remember, because this was such, um, uh, it was an important moment, not just in American history, but really in the history of the entire human race. It is a defining moment for, for all people. Uh, and it was an attack on our country, but when you look at all of the people who were killed on that day, they came from all over the world. And it happened in such a, a, a violent and horrible way to civilians, innocent people. All they did on that day was go to work, either at the World Trade Center or the Pentagon or they boarded a plane that eventually was brought down and crashed in a field in Pennsylvania. These were innocent people, men, women, and children. They weren't soldiers for the most part. They weren't combatants. Uh, And we were targeted in this country because of who we are, how we live our lives. And uh, it was, uh, from someone who was there when it happened, it was a terrifying moment. And I like to think of the people. It started with the posters that went up day two, day three, day four, the posters of the missing. And then there was a face. There was a name. These were real people. They weren't numbers. They weren't statistics. Uh, They were real people with lives and families. And they deserve uh, our, uh, our um, attention, and uh, they deserve to be remembered. Echoes from 9-11 was a joint production of 1010 Winds, WCBS News Radio 880, and our parent company, Odyssey. Our thanks to the talented people who worked at 1010 Winds and WCBS News Radio 880 back on September 11, 2001 and to the passionate journalists who've carried on the reporting of this story for both stations for the past 20 years. Special thanks for John Davis, who helped write and produce the show, and Ray Martell for his help in recording and production. Our executive producers are Ben Meverack, Tim Scheld, and thanks to Bill Smee. I'm Wayne Cabot. I'm Bridget Quinn. Thank you for listening, and may we never forget. really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. 
Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Baseball is back. And so is MLB.tv. Watch every out-of-market, regular season game on your favorite streaming devices. Anywhere, anytime, all season long. Follow the action live or on demand. Track four games at once with multi-view mode. And catch up with in-game highlights. Plus, original programs, minor league broadcasts, and local pre- and post-game shows. Go to MLB.tv to start your free trial today. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission.